0: Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I'm so excited for this episode for a lot of different reasons. We've been talking about training and the next level of emergency management, getting things to the next level. Uh, we had Pete Gaynor on here before talking about that. He's actually been on a couple times. He wrote this really great article. And uh, when I was talking to Erica Borneman on the show, maybe about a month and a half ago, she goes, Hey, did you have, uh, have you had Dr. Stern on here yet? Because he's doing amazing things at EMI, he's looking at at the training model. Obviously, as the superintendent of EMI, the Emergency Management Institute, obviously at the infamous FEMA campus there in Maryland. And so I reached out to him. He's former Georgetown. I'm former Georgetown, so it's really exciting to uh, be able to reach out and reconnect, Doctor Stern. Welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thanks, John Hoya Saxa, as on the yeah. Georgetown campus.
0: You know, uh, it, it's really fascinating to look at. Um, both the degree aspect and academia of emergency management and the certification process that we're trying to go through here. Um, I've been a big fan of both and that both are needed. Um, it's, it's really, is a, it's not a one or the other. And I think that sometimes gets articulated in our field. But as we've been moving forward towards, uh, I wouldn't say standardization, but as we've been trying to push the field towards uh, professionalism in the field, you at EMI, looking at all these different courses that FEMA offers, what are your top priorities there?
1: Uh, thanks, John. Really glad to be here with your listeners and a few viewers that might be on on other, other channels. Uh, uh, and great to see the success that you've had and how you're uh, continuing to contribute uh, in amazing ways to to the field. And, and to pick up on your question there, it really is about maturing and professionalizing the field. And that can be a really loaded term. Emergency managers are professional. Let's not misstate that. Professional in their manner, professional in their background. But we're not yet, I think most people would agree, you you see this debated a lot, hotly, especially Mm. in the higher ed community, but but mostly we're an interdisciplinary field that it's on its pathway towards becoming a profession. Uh, A profession like other professions law, medicine, uh, the U.S. military, uh, uh, sort of as a a famous one, have things that make them uh, common knowledge and and lexicon language, a body of knowledge. Most people go to, they all go to schools for that. Mm. Uh, They have a progressive way of people coming in at the bottom, the entry point of the field and moving up. throughout you know you're not going to see the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff having just been you know plucked in from left field Mm -hmm. uh and they have boundaries to entry that that goes as part of that and and certainly a body of knowledge now emergency management has aspects of that and it's been growing but for the most part people can come in from a bunch of different backgrounds at any level from bottom, middle, all the way to the top. And that's at the mm-hmm. federal, state, local level. It's in the private sector, in the NGO world. And, and we're essentially 40 years into uh, uh, the, that's called the modern era. We're in our fourth, fifth decade of the modern era of all hazards emergency management. that sort of developed mm-hmm. in the 1970s. It was an outgrowth of the civil defense days, the duck and cover days. EMI, the Emergency Management Institute at the Federal Emergency Management Agency, Um, We were actually started 71 years ago as the National Civil Defense
0: Staff College. I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah. So we've got this long, robust history that goes back to the very beginning of the Cold War when Mm -hmm. civil defense was very much considered a component of national security. Obviously, everybody was trying to think what a atomic exchange might look like. and, And back then with the sort of misperception that things would be survivable. Yeah. Sort of pre-understanding of global winter and, and
0: uh, uh, you know hide under my that. desk. You'll be fine.
1: That's right. And the, the founding members are actually really interesting. We're, we're some Nobel Prize winning Manhattan Project physicists. Same. I mean, it, it's so when we became EMI uh, in 1979, that's when FEMA was created mm. uh, uh, to address not the need to just focus on the huge risk of uh, atomic exchange of a nuclear war, but also all the other disasters that were going on and the technological uh, hazards uh, uh, that were taking place. Things like um, uh, you had Three Mile Island in 1979, you had Love Canal and, and all the things that led to the development of the Environmental Protection Administration. And during that time, FEMA decided, Okay, we're not going to be the staff college anymore. We're going to be the Emergency Management Institute. We moved from Battle Creek, Michigan, where we had been for decades, to the shared campus with the National Fire Academy at the National Emergency Training Center in Emmitsburg, Maryland, Mm -hmm. and sort of embarked on what I call much more of a training-centric model. How do you write a better plan? How do you set up and staff an EOC? How do you operate uh, uh, community risk reduction programs? The very technical, much more vocational, and we sort of moved away from that, that sort of staff college model that would have people with a lot of centers of knowledge on the actual campus or as part of the institute. Um, and so our vision and what we're trying to do at EMI is to really think of rethink of what is our role going forward in the current operational risk environment, which is really, as any emergency manager knows, as anybody who's you know, part of the public knows, very challenging the last two and a half years of a global pandemic, where essentially we all are disaster survivors at the the same time we're disaster responders. Uh, The hurricane seasons with multiple hurricanes hitting, major hurricanes hitting the United States, massive flooding, storms, uh, uh, things related to uh, the the change in climate, uh, decaying infrastructure, infrastructure and other system interdependencies. So the global supply chain result of 30 years of real-time delivery. And we see, yes. that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's great when you want to get something inexpensive when everything's working, but, it, but it breaks down when you've offshored,
0: uh, uh, stretched out those supply chains now. as yeah. we've all seen. Yeah. So
1: emergency managers are operating in this space every single day in a relentless fashion. And and we came up with, with a, a plan, John, that we call EMI anywhere. The idea that any emergency, any program that we have at EMI, any training and education needs to be available to any emergency manager, anywhere they are, anytime in their career and on any platform. Mm -hmm. We have a fantastic campus. We've got room for about four or 5,000 people a year on that campus. Uh, Mm -hmm. Last year EMI had 934,000 students take two and a half million courses. Mm -hmm. Some from our 211 online independent study programs, Mm -hmm. some from in-person classes. Uh, we have about 150, 160 in-person classes, and then a lot of those were virtualized. Uh, uh, but but that's our goal, our end state, because we know very few people can make it to campus. Everybody is operating and learning in this kind of environment, whether it be through a podcast, uh, webinars, online classes, hybrid classes, as we have had for the last uh, a decade or so at, at Georgetown University uh, in the master's program there, uh, where, where I remain an adjunct, the uh asynchronous and synchronous delivery of courses, and a a variety of different adult learning methodologies. And so we're really trying to modernize EMI and that's the plan. Uh, It's very much a call to action based on uh, a directive from President Biden last year, National Security Council memo three that directed all the national security institutions, uh, uh, education institutions to look at how we can revitalize ourselves and, and develop more robust, uh, uh, institutions, uh, and partnerships and think through different ways of doing things. So we're back at the table as a national security profession, which is sort of, a uh, I think the appropriate place for emergency managers. We, we've, we've bifurcated all the, we've, we've created all these silos, homeland security, emergency management, national security, resilience. Well, that's just a one big Venn diagram with a lot of, of overlaps. And so we're trying to think through, okay, if we're going to revitalize under this plan, how can we deliver, Not just training, but great education to emergency managers uh, throughout their progression from new people coming into the field, from the mid-career professionals that sort of have to choose their own adventure. That's been our tradition. We were always on the job training and uh, sort of much more of a tradecraft profession as the field moves. Uh, We've created all these bureaucratic structures and checklists. And, And what we know we really need is emergency managers who facing wicked problems, being tasked by. Uh, their leaders with, hey, help me solve this problem might not have and, and probably don't have the expertise to address that on their own. But we're really good at grabbing people by the collar, grabbing other organizations, other leaders at every level of government, getting them in the room, collaborating, Correct. facilitating, coming up with the unity of effort, the clear set of objectives, and then iterating very rapidly as there are changes. That's our sort of core skill, right? Make. Recommendations or decisions based on limited information and dynamic environment—that's what's missing in a lot of these institutions. That's what we needed. So, how can EMI help prepare that? And prepare those professionals, whether they're new to the field or mid in their career, uh, to do so. We've got a wide variety of different things we're laying out to do that, John. Uh, uh, plans to build a, an update or sort of modern e-campus. We've got nobody. Nobody was surprised that the federal government is a little behind in technology. So, so, so <laughs> yeah. throughout the pandemic, as we made more of our courses virtual you know we're, we're dealing with some clunky older technology that sort of defaulted to it might as well have been a conference call sort of hard to do, hold a class by conference call yeah so we've got to update some licensing and things like that and, and teach people how to do those deliveries uh we want to build satellite campuses all over the country we've we've come up with a plan to build at least one satellite campus in each of the 10 FEMA regions around the country and do that in partnership with the FEMA regional staff that are there with the uh, colleges and universities that are part of the higher education system that actually provide degrees. Yes. associates bachelor's, master's, even a couple of PhD programs and very importantly uh, government and or pr- other government and or private sector entities where there's a, a nexus with emergency management. And so our plans over the next few years, if we can get some, some resources for this and, and we've, uh, in the president's budget, there's an eight million dollar proposal in front of Congress that hopefully will will help support this. Hopefully, Congress, uh, in their wisdom, will will see that the the merits of of investing in the training and education for for their state, local, tribal, and territorial emergency managers uh, uh, will will begin to build out some of these satellite campuses or or, or Camp campi. And it's it's not as if we're building a brand new campus. We'll partner with those institutions to share classroom space, to come up with joint curriculum, and so we're looking at everywhere on the East coast from Atlanta and we're in discussions with the Centers for Disease Control based in Atlanta. You got a FEMA region there, big, huge airport. Hey, what could we do to maybe address what I think most emergency managers and most public health professionals see is uh, the chasm, the problems, the, the, the failure to integrate the gears really smoothly over the last few years with the pandemic between public health emergency preparedness that comes out of the public health community and the all hazards emergency management that we've been leading and uh, working on in, in the modern environment for, for 40 years. You know, A, that's invest in training and, and jointly address some of those problems that that I sort of metaphorically say are like one side is using metric and one side is using standard sort of measurement. Uh, and we both talk NIMS, we operate differently, we have different cultures, how can we help each other benefit and learn for the next uh, suite of pandemics or other public health emergencies or or WMD, you know you know threats yeah. um colorado where there's northcom and a fema region and center country another big airport uh we're looking at how can we develop joint uh training and education programs in partnership out there that might address some of the challenges in civil military uh integration we, we saw with operation warp speed how important the military is in helping Operationalized the development, their ability to engage both government and the private sector to come up with those great vaccines. And then we saw how necessary the emergency management community was on the side, because it was our expertise in how to get them out to points of distribution. And, and FEMA played a huge role in the state and local emergency managers there. So a good example of that. And then, and then the ever-present need predated me coming to EMI. I came here two years ago after serving six years as Virginia's emergency manager for two governors. But but this idea of maybe there needs to be an EMI West. EMI is hard to get to in Eastern yeah. Maryland for a lot of, folks. especially, so, especially yeah.
0: for the West Coast people. Yeah, yeah. So those are some of the some of the plans.
1: Uh, so one or two. At, You're not yeah, very busy. just a few. And that's only a part of it. We're, we're reviewing right now our curriculum. How can mm-hmm. it be streamlined? We have over 360 classes in our portfolio. I think that's really intimidating for somebody new to the field. You talk about a barrier to entry. You talk about creating equitable opportunities for people who might not normally find their way into the field. Where do you start? You know, some of it is I guess having a six-year-old at home and playing a lot of a uh, 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 candy land or whatever the sort of uh, you know, shoots and ladders games so But there's always a start. Mm-hmm. There's a winding pathway. There's a few shortcuts, but we haven't really articulated that for professional development. And so we well, hope to stream. Yeah, go ahead, John.
0: No, 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 please. Yeah.
1: So streamlining, what, what are the basic classes? How can we develop career tracks? Um, somebody wants to specialize in mitigation or community risk communications. Uh, we have a lot of robust ICS stuff, incident command system stuff for, for the non-acronym, for the acronym-free zone for your non-emergency management listeners uh, uh, for response. Um this mirrors an internal review and and process that's been going on inside FEMA to look at professional development pathways for emergency managers within, within FEMA itself. It's something, again, as we move from field to profession, you need some sort of generalist kind of basics. And then professions have specialties and we have people that again, by happenstance, choose their own adventure. Maybe they have a good mentor. Maybe they don't, but that roadmap should be much more certain as a profession than it's been. We're looking at how can we do some executive crisis leadership, professional development for our senior most emergency managers and crisis leaders in the United States, in government, in the private sector, in the NGO world. And and so we've been working with the RAND Corporation, Harvard's National Preparedness Leadership Initiative, and the McChrystal Group, General Stan McChrystal's group, to sort of take the meta-leadership, how the individual can can lead themselves, others, and how you build agile organizations, the sort of team of teams concept, and how they can share their leadership experiences, build a network, understand each other's roles and responsibilities. Uh, We've been doing a lot of focus groups around... What's EMI's role? Can we be a catalyst for navigating in our profession? What I call—and it's probably a bad term—I'll buy by lunch to any of your listeners that, that can come up with a better term. But thought leadership for the field, other professions that start out talking about how we compare as a field to other professions, other professions have ways, mechanisms by which they formally debate what the laws should be, what strategy, what their doctrine should be. If you think about medicine, there are formal processes to determine what general procedures that are accepted should be and how you innovate and add new procedures or medications into the field in the military you have institutions and think tanks that debate what should the global strategy be how big should the force structure be how many navy aircraft carriers versus airplanes should be Uh, and you have institutions with a lot of experienced deep thinkers that do that in emergency management look we've got great associations that that do can share best practices with practitioners. We've got some academic journals that that write great articles about some disaster research that the practitioners don't often have time to read. Uh, And then when an incident happens, oftentimes very well-intended policymakers are making policy without the benefit of input from practitioners, the educators, or, or the 70 years of disaster research out there. So we're trying to say, how can EMI serve as a catalyst between the educators, the researchers, the practitioners, and the policymakers in order to Come up with sort of an identified common set of understanding and beliefs about what are the top issues in the field what are the mega trends and the mini trends affecting us in our operational risk environment uh, what are the key lessons i'll say observed and how can we get them into lessons learned uh, uh and and then have a mechanism to formally distribute that either inside of the practitioners to change sop or to the lawmakers at every level to influence it so We've got a ton of exciting stuff. And and to wrap it all up, we've initiated a plan with the support of uh, Administrator Cresswell to begin the transformation process of EMI into the nation's Emergency Management College, to add those educational facets back in, not abandon at all. I mean, it's very important we do the technical and vocational training, and EMI will continue to do that. But we're looking at how can we add some visiting faculty to come in and foment some some good ideas on the campus and into the curriculum. How can we maybe have some visiting practitioners come through with direct experience in the field that can say, hey, this might be a little disjointed in what we're still teaching, make sure we're up to speed, that we've identified what are the critical gaps and areas and influence that. Um, How do we take those mid-career and advanced professionals and build professional education so that they can specialize? And so we're looking at, in addition to EMI, uh, the potential of potentially creating a, you know, sort of a notional school for disaster leadership. Uh, uh, and thirdly, how do you deal with the rest of the community? We like using the term whole community. How do you deal with the rest of the, the community? Uh, we've got a lot of programs, but at EMI, you know, we, we have a real opportunity. And so we're looking, uh, you know, and again, the names are all notional at this stage, but as, as we look, we're planning to, to look at how can we build a, a school for national resilience that could focus on building capacity at the individual community, the NGO, the private sector level, uh, and base that on the the best uh, um, research. uh, And and then in doing that across the entire spectrum, work really closely in alignment with the uh, 300 or so colleges and universities that are teaching Mm. formal emergency management education as part of the higher education system so that you get what you talked about at the beginning The sort of continuum between technical training, professional development, and formal education, because we will remain an interdisciplinary field, but I think we can formalize the profession.
0: Real quick, we're gonna pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at dobermanemg.com today. The L3Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. The Readiness Lab is trailblazing disaster readiness. Early access for the highly anticipated course, Emergency Management Response for Dynamic Populations is currently live. Think you have what it takes? Join us in Atlanta for an immersive experience. Space is limited to 40. Go to thereadinesslab.com forward slash training to learn more. Okay, let's jump back in. So you said one or two things there, and I'm going to see if I can un- unravel that a little bit. <clears throat> the uh, you, what you're saying is what a, a lot of us are feeling and uh, addressing. We, for example, on our side of the house, we, we didn't want to wait. And uh, we just essentially said we're going to pull in practitioners and educators and create our own working group, because the problem that I, I've been doing this for 16 years and i've been working with other people been doing it longer and shorter in the the whole deal and have been to a lot of disasters man-made and natural which is one of the the problems of emergency management they think it's one or the other calling it crisis management calling it emergency management and really what it comes down to is as a profession you're talking about vocation versus the professional aspect i'm saying hey if i ask an emergency manager what is the definition of emergency management, I get a hundred different definitions. And we talk about whole community. My my joke about whole community, by the way, is if I tell my son, my son's three, and I, you know, he's amazing, and I say, hey, I'm gonna eat the apple, he won't ask me, are you going to eat the whole apple? And so like we, we use these terms like whole community, when it should just, just be community. And we have these definitions that are paragraphs long. And if we can't as a field know what our own definition is as a field how can we possibly have a standard i left uh i'm a recovering fed obviously and uh, i went over to a tech company who said hey you have uh you have a management background in a very intense really stressful environment can you bring this over to our tech company and I said yeah sure and so i was working with their c-suite and we were doing a lot of d- i was actually in charge of data scientists and uh i had this aha moment which i should have had years before is so much of emergency management is project management every everybody that worked for me had to have certifications and 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 at times degrees in project management i had learned all their steps through certifications that i got at emi and through my degrees and my own experience and yet there was there was already this pathway that other fields have figured out maybe because of long, longer time to look at it or or whatever. But I was like, OK, like we have this opportunity right now in our field. There's a lot of awareness that, that emergency managers exist and there's a lot of perception of what emergency managers should be. And, and you're right when you're, you're talking 40, 50 years, uh, I, I look at it as pre 9-11 and then there was probably another major shift. Probably closer to 2010, 2012 time frame when more schools start picking up, uh, you know, the the degree programs and trying to figure it out themselves. And now we're in this amazing process where we have leaders like yourself at EMI saying, hey, there should be more education here. How do we standardize as a field? How do we become more professional and not duties as, as assigned? I can't tell you how many emergency managers I've talked to where they're like, hey, my day job is X but I'm also in charge of all emergency management. I'm like, great, where where are your emergency plans? Who are are you coordinating with? Who are your stakeholders? So I started asking kind of basic questions. And uh, most of the time they're like, well, I'm I'm gonna take ICS-100. And it's like, oh no, you know? And so it's like, what what does a generalist look like? What do those specializations look like? And so it's super encouraging. I don't know, that's professional, right? It's, it's totally encouraging or super encouraging to hear that at EMI the last two years, all these initiatives that you just broke down, how do we get this to the next level? Returning EMI to like a, almost a, a college, working with other institutions, working with other leadership groups. Uh, we've had, um, oh my gosh, this is going to be embarrassing. I can't remember his name. But out of Harvard, we had uh, him on here. Um, oh my gosh, he wrote the book. That's it. Uh, I'm going to remember later. But. We had them on here. and We're talking about meta leadership and we're talking about uh, these different things. And so you're making so many great call outs in in terms of building EMI everywhere and building the the profession. What can emergency managers do literally right now? Let's say I'm getting into the field. I I went into my degree. I got my degree in emergency management. What are steps one, two and three next that somebody should be doing um, after that? Great
1: series of questions and observations. And I'll try to work backwards a little bit. Answer your immediate question. What should somebody, could somebody do now that's interested? Obviously, you've got training that you can take, whether they go pursue their degrees uh, in emergency management itself through one of the universities or in a related field. And there's a lot, be a hard disaster science or just a, a physical science, geology, meteorology, Mm -hmm. Um, It could be in in government, public administration, business administration, all the facets of of that. And then there's an experience piece that goes with trying to get internships. Uh, I'm a big fan of the informal interview for people that don't know what that is that are listening. You know, almost any person in any position will take a phone call. And if somebody says, hey, I'd like to come in and hear about your job and what you do and how you got to your path, most people will make time to do that. And so there's no sort of uh, formality or expectation that there's going to be a job there, but it often helps give insight into how people got into certain paths. Uh, internships are offered at almost every level. FEMA has something called FEMA Corps for new graduates. Uh, that, yes. Wait, do you so, think, that's, a a, do you think that's an
0: internship? No, no, it? I'm saying it's another opportunity. I always call it there. an internship and all yeah. my team of core people, are like, that's not an internship. Yeah. it should be an internship. Anyway. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, I think they, uh, have a pretty good, good setup part of AmeriCorps. Uh, mm-hmm. uh I believe my boss administrator Creswell, actually was the one who created that. So oh. shout out to her, uh, <laughs> and to that legacy. So I'm going to uh, give that a great, uh, great program. And we used to have those folks show up in Virginia and they were always fantastic. Um, there's a lot of other opportunities. If you're a recent college or uh, grad or master's degree grad, the Presidential Management Fellowship is a great way for people to come into government. Now, you get a wider swath of, of look if you get selected for that across the federal government, but I think we've got about two dozen. PMFs, as they're called, Presidential Management Fellows at EMI. There's a lot of different ways that people can intake into government uh, for internship opportunities to get some experience. Certainly, you can volunteer for any of the number of large NGOs uh, uh, that are all partnered with emergency management agencies. So some education, some experience, can take a ton of classes at EMI online, our independent study programs. They're free. You can register, just Google FEMA training, and you'll get to, you know, I forget the exact acronym. I should know it by heart now. I should have a tattoo, but you know, basically it's fematraining.gov, but uh, it'll come up right. If they, they put it in the, whatever search engine of the choice will be agnostic to that. Uh, and, uh, uh, I think both Apple and Android and uh, 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 and just get as much training, take as many certificate classes and begin to do that. Seek out a mentor. Again, seek out somebody who might be able to guide, guide them. And we'll be almost always willing to help folks out. Now to backtrack a little further, you said something really interesting about the definition of emergency management and the, uh, the 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 sort of image I think, and what people think about outside of us when they think of what emergency management is, and I yes. think you're right. As a profession, it's not clear. You know exactly what comes to mind as an image when you say a military officer. When a doctor comes to mind, you think of a lab coat, right? A lawyer, the suit with the bow tie, right? A professor, you know, uh, maybe all of us as professors want to be Indiana Jones or whatever, but. Uh, but you have certain things that come to mind with that. You know, maybe it's more the crazy, Albert Einstein hair, Uh, and I've got a few gray hairs that that (laughs) went sideways that way. Um, uh, For emergency management at the definitional level, I I think it's one of my academic assignments in in your class, you know, go find all the definitions and you'll see there's a ton of them, Uh, even within the federal government. We have a definition that's on the EMI website that was agreed to by the associations, the National Mercy Manager Association, the International Association of Emergency Managers, uh, uh, the academic community. And, and when you go back and revisit it, you can see that it has not kept up how the work that we do and what we're being tasked to do has changed. It is very much rooted in the early years. It, it describes sort of the mercy management as the managerial function that carries out a suite of activities. and. Um, I don't know about you, but I didn't get into government to carry out managerial functions. No joke about the bureaucracy and the red tape. I got into this field to help people in times of crisis. Our our mission at FEMA, help people for, during, and after disasters. Um, And so I think it is time for us to get the right stakeholders together. And again, EMI as a facilitator, I suppose Mm -hmm. I'm giving myself a new task for the next fiscal year uh, (laughs) from the bosses. But it's time to revise that because you don't see... um, Uh, uh, words like leadership you don't see words like crisis reflected in that the definition talks about helping communities cope yes disasters i i i respectful respectful to the folks that worked on that the world has changed i don't think we want to cope we want to be resilient Mm -hmm. we want to be proactive and be ahead and and mitigate against them and make sure we can you know as they say, you know Degrade gracefully and bounce back properly. Uh, we're looking across FEMA at, and we were doing a lot of this when I was in Virginia, working with Curtis Brown, the state coordinator that succeeded me, who uh, co founded the Institute for Diversity and Inclusion Emergency Management. Uh, he was the one that, it was about four or five years ago, first brought me Dr. Junia Howell's work from the University of Pittsburgh on how disasters exacerbate socioeconomic inequity. The poor get poor, get displaced, they're pushed out. And so this is core to the equity lens that FEMA is looking at right now at all facets of emergency management. How do we build systems that help the most vulnerable people in their time of need and get them on their feet, maybe even onto a, a better, better pathway? Uh, and so it's far more than just coping. I would say none of us wanna just cope in life
0: Forget that. We want yeah. to build
1: communities that that move far beyond that in this changing dynamic. So the definition is key. And then from a, a, a facet of organizational culture, something that I'm really interested in, you know, what, what is our image? Like during response, we're, we're a part of public safety. Uh, I would argue, even though we're civilian in almost every area that we are uniform, we sort of have the, you know, it, it may be the inelegant cargo pants and the the logo where like I have on right now for the few uh, uh, watchers as opposed to listeners on the podcast. Um, uh, and you have to stand up there as an emergency manager next to a fire chief and a police chief and a, a national guard uh, officer. Uh, but there's a whole lot of suite of other, other folks there. But then when we're not in that role, are we accepted into the, you know, and the private sector, they call it the C-suite, the, the corporate suite, the executive level. Are we direct reports? at the mm-hmm. local level to the mayor or county or city manager, are you a direct report to the governor as an organization? We have two emergency management agencies that where that I'm aware of uh, the state of Oregon and the state of Maryland that both just elevated in the last few months. I sold that actually just departments to just, yeah. be on the cabinet and direct reports. Cause it's very hard to coordinate from the middle, but it's also a reflection of does that professional leading it have the confidence to be always there, not just wearing the logo wear, but wearing the, suit and tie or, or whatever uh, uh, is the uniform of the day, so to speak, the, the, the cultural accepted mm-hmm. uniform for, for that uh, uh, entity to be there. Uh, and how do we really wanna think about ourselves uh, in that regard and grow ourselves as, as, again, from a field to a profession uh, to bring people in at all levels, but be able to quickly get them the training, the education, the experience, the understanding of how we can provide the best crisis leadership advice during an incident, uh, the best data-driven information to make grant investments or mitigation funding investments before an incident to those areas that are most vulnerable and to lead uh, more rapid recovery with an entirely different set of partners that that is the recovery. I'm all the time keeping your eye on the ball of, okay, what are the new emergent risks, risk as a function of uh, the threat or hazard, the vulnerability and the consequences that are down the road. And so emergency managers today are finding themselves working in very challenging spaces on behalf of their leaders at the local and state level, especially even at the federal level, in areas that we wouldn't consider traditional emergency management. Uh, I have uh, uh, state director colleagues that are leading and and local emergency management colleagues that are leading opioid task forces against the opioid crisis that are leading cities to deal with their homeless crisis that has become so exacerbated in the last decade in the United States. At the federal level, FEMA has been called upon not just to assist health and human services with the pandemic and the vaccinations, uh, but to support our other partners like uh, Customs and Border Protection at the border with the border uh, surges. Um, uh, We know we have a close tight relationship with CISA, the, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security agency, I I joke with my friends over there, security must be so important. You put it in twice in your name, but ton of overlap on that Mm. roles and responsibilities related to critical infrastructure and building resilience there. And how do you respond and integrate uh, with them? And how do you deal with the cybersecurity infrastructure security vulnerabilities? So got to keep our eye on on where we need to grow our profession to, Mm. as opposed to, again, just, well, let's just do a better plan about the planning about the people at the table and those people change depending on what is in front of us right now what might be in front of us in five years or 10 years or, or, or 20 years
0: so the i we're uh, we're starting to run out of time here but you're, you're making so many great comments and, and great points and uh for i almost at nauseum for my audience here i'm sure i'm gonna get a few comments on here but we, we've been attacking this. We've been looking at the, the, these definitions, these standards. It's really encouraging to hear that on the other side of the aisle, that the federal side of the aisle, and not just the private side, that we've been looking at this and saying, how, how do we create this system? Um, I, I have this article. And I should, I should post it at one of these points. I keep teasing it. Probably about 30 paragraphs now. But uh, we keep on looking at uh, the definitions. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about here, this. this strategic coordination. So basically I looked at the ESFs emergency support functions, therefore, you know, supporting emergencies. Therefore those are the emergency services, whether they're full-time emergency services, IE USAR, ESF nine, or they're like critical infrastructure who jumps in there when utilities are broken. So if that's emergency services, then very simple definition that can be, that can be manipulated if you're in a hospital or you're in a public safety county emergency management is the strategic coordination of emergency services any organization any group any individual involved in helping an emergency i.e emergency management our job really should be coordinating all that and how do we get up to the next level just calling out usar here real fast going to usar and helping out the medical usar training i was invited out to kind of give them a context of what emergency management looks like and how did that supply chain work be able to have, have them do their tactical job. One thing that like really blew my mind in their training was that we did a full scale 12 hour exercise where they were in a collapsed structure and it it went to midnight and they all stayed on the rubble pile to almost two o'clock in the morning, asking questions, working on the cadaver, they want to stay longer. And I, I know emergency managers are passionate, are dedicated, are all in. And yet, too many emergency managers walk out of try to get out of training two hours early. And so what we started looking at is how do we address both the standardization and the definition issue? And then how do we create training that's emergency management-centric? We're not first responders. But what what happens, you're talking about the C-suite. I want to be able to operate in a and in, in my daily life and have that professional level just as high as my first responder, my DOD counterparts. And I think that really comes down to better training. Their training is off the charts and their, their dedication in training is off the charts and emergency management, because we're such a young field, we've been working towards that now, again, great, great points that you've been making because you're addressing all the concerns that we're starting to bring up of like, we need better training and we need to be more involved. It needs to be more immersive. It needs to have more access. And so you're going through all these things that are starting to address that. And we need it. Uh, we, we want the, the passion to 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 match the professionalism in terms of the field and not, you know, you know, not just iron shirts, but making sure, sure that, uh, we can step up at all times. And so you're making so many call outs. that's so encouraging to hear. It's like, hey, if you want to become more professional, keep watching what EMI is doing because they're addressing some of these things that we've brought up. So again, thank you so much for coming on the show and and for sharing those, uh, those insights for us because um, I think that keeps us uh, kind of going, to be honest.
1: Well, uh, John, real privilege to be here. Uh, uh, hopefully your listeners and the few viewers have, have found some value. I look forward to inviting you. We'll have to invite you to be part of the uh, panel I'll have to put together next year as we maybe take on looking at the definition. And that definition has to involves something that is motivating you know what you touched on there related to urban search and rescue and you know uh, the the full title for the civil defense staff staff college was the civil defense staff college and rescue school it was the precursor to all of those programs but I think when you break that down um, we do have a lot of really motivated fantastic emergency managers why would those folks be leaving training early were they the wrong people was that training not provided to them in a context that was relevant or was out of date or a format uh, uh, or do we are we missing something there that is going to directly connect them to the fact that that particular training or education or professional development in whatever format is going to have a direct impact on their ability to save lives through the comprehensive emergency management cycle, what we call you know uh, preparedness, mitigation, response, and recovery, um, and so it's really important as people that own those systems, those, those training to know and get feedback on, is it relevant? Cause if it's not relevant, sure. People are going to walk away. And that's the distinction. I think, uh, fortunately, we do see a lot of motivated people. We do assess the feedback from all 934,000 students. Uh, uh, but we're always looking at, at how we can better. And one of the disconnects and barriers has always been just this, uh, fact that we have the, 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 the limited footprint, uh, at, at the campus and uh, some of the technologies that get in the way. And, and so we've got to brush that off and then rethink how we deliver those things so that it can meet those needs. And those folks are enthusiastically registering for the next class, uh, yes. in-person online self-development, uh, the same way that you saw that reflected in those other motivated responders on that uh, urban search and rescue pile.
0: For the, for yeah. Yeah, of course. And, and I'm going to, I typically leave it up to the final notes. I'll give you one, one last, uh, final call out there but essentially it's the delivery that there's so much great content you know how many we talked about I think 300 courses you know 934,000 people attending those courses the content is really great in a lot of aspects and of course there's always course development so you can get you can get away from that but I think the course delivery you're talking about that the, the the delivery methods and technologies We Like I said, we were just like, we don't want to wait. We're going to try it and we're going to invite a bunch of people to say, hey, look how we're going to do this here and create immersive training. I think that's the next step. I think we're ready for that. I think practicing, you know, even even, uh, it could be mitigation or it could be in an EOC. We need to start practicing that more often in our training models. And so when we do, so for example, uh, our side of the house, the readiness lab, we're putting on a community Uh, training, you know, uh, emergency management response for dynamic populations, which is arguably the most complex style because you have all the responsibility and none of the authority. And yet when you walk into that, it should be immersive. And my hope is my small pitch to if I ever get to talk to the superintendent of EMI, which is one of the greatest moments of my life, is when we look at training, look at the delivery methods. And I think people are starving for that immersive opportunity when we talk about risk and risk analysis and bringing insurance possibly and looking at GIS, my dream a uh, GIS are here over here, but my dream would to be able to see uh, incident commanders for one week get to actually practice what it looks like for risk. So when they ask, Hey, what is my risk for my hurricane? They don't ask stupid questions. Like, isn't the hurricane going the entire area, the cone of uncertainty, you're like, Oh no, you know, but to actually understand risk and understand these things and, and to put them into practice and in the training environment and, and to really take that content to the next level. So I don't need to preach to the choir too much because you're already tackling all those things. Again, really encouraging to hear. We hope to see you uh, later. And I, I would love to be able to be a part of that panel and to talk about that definition. Simple definitions that can be used uh, for the future and what the emergency management is becoming. And again, Dr. Stern, a huge privilege to hear your thoughts about EMI and the training model and what emergency management needs to do for the future. You've already provided advice for the next generation of emergency managers. Would you just like to close out this episode by providing just your advice for those who are getting in the field and to kind of encourage them to keep going?
1: Uh, A few things. One, continue to seek as much training, education, experience as they can find, as they can handle, as they can absorb. Two, be persistent. Because we're a field emerging into a profession, the entry points are always different. It could be in the NGO, private sector, or local government, state government, federal government, in our tribal communities. There's no one right, easy button way, the way it is when you go to an army recruiter. So be persistent in figuring out your way in in a way that's a good fit. Third, be mentally ready. It it requires a lot of personal resilience in this space. FEMA itself has had a 50% turnover in personnel, I think, in the last five or six years. We're seeing that reflected also in a lot of the state and local agencies. So all the things you can do personally to be physically and mentally ready and understand that we operate in a non-sterile dynamic environment with dynamic changes, high risks, political pressures, limited budgets, limited resources, uh, uh, no, I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to scare somebody off from the field, but I think it's important that they understand as they move into the field what, what, uh, what that is like so that they can really decide, is this the right place for them? I think those are some of the things that you know I would encourage them to do, and then reach out. Find somebody in it. Ask as many questions uh, as you can. And uh, uh, we're always hiring at FEMA uh, at, at all the different <laughs> levels too, so I'll throw that pitch out for our uh, chief in of capital wants.
0: As a former FEMA... I don't know if you want to call that. As a former FEMA employee, uh, I am a huge fan of FEMA, and it's a it's a great place to learn and to to do career advancement and career development. So if you are looking, if you're one of those audience members, you just heard it from the superintendent from EMI, who's also FEMA. Another guy from FEMA talking on this on this episode. FEMA provides so many opportunities, especially that all those courses. Once you get into FEMA a little bit easier to access those courses too and and, and they're doing more to, to be able to do that obviously in the field but again dr stern thank you so much for uh, for talking to me for talking about the future of emi and the future of training and what it looks like and for allowing me to be that super passionate guy saying we need to we need to have uh training that matches for the future and it, and it looks like you're doing that and uh, again a uh, huge pleasure to have you on the show thank you john
1: and thanks to your listeners
0: So for everyone who is listening to this episode, here's my famous plug. You got to give us that five-star rating and subscribe, of course. Look us up on social media, the Disaster Tough podcast. Uh, Add a comment. If you've done some great training at EMI, if you want training at EMI, if you're you're looking to connect with the community of having... You have a problem set you want to get better at, ask the community about that. There's 300 courses at EMI alone that you can check out. But there's other people who have found those courses that you may not have been able to find yet. There's opportunities to grow as a community. We want you to add your comments on social media. We want you to share this episode with somebody else. My very last pitch, as we've been doing the last couple of months, is to make sure that you check out the Readiness Labs Emergency Management Response for Dynamic Populations course. It's a certification in Atlanta. Immersive training, just like what we were talking about on the episode. Obviously not FEMA-endorsed. I have to make sure we say that. It's not a FEMA thing but it is our thing and we want to make sure you're there. So make sure you check that out and we'll see you for the next one.